0: Welcome to Voiceover Work an Audiobook Sampler. Where do you listen? I'm Russell, founder of Newton Media Group, and today is December 11th, 2023. Today's episode is the chapter by chapter preview of Todd Saylor's book, Your Will Be Done. A nationally renowned speaker and accomplished entrepreneur coach and owner of multiple brands, as well as a devoted father, Saylor leans upon his faith to unpack the science and uses biblical teachings to link the secular and the spiritual components of your will. Saylor shows that to achieve a life of significance and one beyond worldly accomplishments, to be truly wired differently, we must accept that our will is ultimately his will and that, Your will be done. Part 1. Successionaire The Donut Capital of the World See it, say it, seize it. Your will be done in your Donut Capital of the World. Todd Saylor The story of the Donut Capital of the World is a testimonial to the power of actualizing your subconscious. What happened is proof positive of this idea of actualizing, of dropping things into your subconscious. Actualization is making things happen, the moving of thoughts into action, and from this action, getting the desires you want. We can exist not knowing what we want, but in doing so, we allow the world to set our agenda by subverting our ambitions if we let ourselves drift and drift again. But as I just mentioned, We can harness the greatness if we focus on the positive and apply our will to what we truly want. Moving forward, everything that we do and build around this book is testimony to your will be done. This brings us to the donut capital of the world, one of the best business stories I have, hands down, because it illustrates how I actualized my will be done. The thing about me is that... As I work at this and think about it, there's not much in my life that I haven't willed to happen that I didn't truly want or desire. This includes the bad with the good. In many ways, I'm unusual in that regard. From the woman I married, to the houses I've built, to the entrepreneurial projects I've laid out and conquered, to the 14 businesses that I own, everything in my life I actualized, even before I understood what was happening, which is what led me to write my first book, Wired Differently. Why was I getting everything that I wanted? Why was I getting everything that I was supremely, purposefully focused on? Why was this approach working so well for me? Because I could make the outcomes I wanted to happen by actualizing them. It turns out my father taught me how to actualize when I was a young man, only he didn't have a name for it. "'He simply wanted me to see the things that I wanted. "'I remember one such story about actualization from when I was a boy. "'He noticed I didn't look well and asked, "'You have a headache?' "'Yeah, I've got a headache. "'Oh, here's how you get rid of it. "'I want you to envision this headache. "'Close your eyes, son, and imagine what this headache looks like. "'What do you mean?' "'Close your eyes,' he instructed. "'What shape is it?' "'I did what he told me and closed my eyes.' I focused on the headache and tried to imagine what it looked like. I imagined a blobby octopus jellyfish thing floating inside my head. I see it. Okay, how much does it weigh? As much as a bag of flour. Got it, Dad. What color is it? It was a weird peptobismal pink with green and purple spots. Okay, I got it. He put his hand on my shoulder. If you could throw it, how hard would it be? I saw myself grabbing that headache thing. I can do it. Listen, this is really important. Now, take it in both hands and heave it like a medicine ball. Throw it away. I saw myself using a two-handed throw and flinging that headache thing from me. Now open your eyes. My dad was smiling. Does it still hurt? Incredibly. The headache was gone. That experience was the beginning of me visualizing things, actualizing things, and seeing things happen. Later, section 1. Chapter 1. Plateau of Latent Potential Our thoughts become things. Todd Sailor. I've talked about my tree garden, and especially my palms, but one of my least favorite trees is the invasive bamboo. What's especially interesting about bamboo, though, is that you plant it, and for a long time, nothing seems to happen. In the case of Chinese bamboo, it'll take five years for the sprouts to break the surface. Then, it'll grow 90 feet in five weeks. Such fantastic results are a great metaphor for the power of your will be done. However... When people embark on a path of self-improvement, they seldom see positive results right away. They get discouraged and convince themselves they're wasting their time. If we look at bamboo, a lot is going on beneath the surface. You must supply water and nutrients for those five years or nothing will sprout. In other words, you have to keep investing in the process. What's happening is what we in accounting call compounding interest the small gains accumulate. At first, the amount doesn't seem like much, until you reach a tipping point where your saved money and the accrued interest snowball into a massive sum and achieve incredible growth on their own momentum. I use the bamboo root chart to illustrate the plateau of latent potential, a concept from Atomic Habits by James Clear. The plateau is the period when nothing appears to be happening, yet small gains are accumulating. For bamboo, the plateau of latent potential is when the plant remains underground, unseen, yet still growing. Then, at the five-year mark, it sprouts and quickly shoots upward to an amazing height. This happens when you embark on a serious effort to improve any aspect of your life, be it business, physical, or relationships. During the period of the plateau of latent potential, just as the bamboo plant is nurturing itself, you too are nurturing your skills and craft. You're taking small steps, improving incrementally until one day everything clicks and you see exponential growth. To make epic gains, it's not a matter of making huge strides at the beginning, but of getting a little better every day and compounding those results. A journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step, Lao Tzu. How, then, do we take those small steps? What if, and this is something that I've heard over and over, and you no doubt have as well, what if we strive to get just one percent better each day? One percent isn't much at all, is it? If you've got just one percent better every day, what would that do for you over the course of a year? Over two years? In Atomic Habits, James Clear also explains that if you become 1% better every day, you'll become 37 times better in one year. This means that if you get 1% better over the course of two years, then you'll become 1,600 times better. If you continue for three years, you'll become a staggering 37,000 times better. That raises two questions. Better at what? And how do we quantify this 1%? To answer better at what, what if we took the desire to be 1% better at every- Section 1, Chapter 2, Significance Your North Star, when your will produces good for others without you, means that significance has arrived. Todd Saylor A successionaire is someone at the pinnacle of the entrepreneurial world. Though they understand the concept of focus from being supremely purposeful and wired differently, they realize that they are only as good as their plan. In our lives, there are so many things we want to accomplish and master through the philosophy of getting 1% better. We know that there's no silver bullet that will make us successful, That becoming a successionaire is a matter of leveraging our favor in being wired differently, of being supremely purposeful, of fighting against the drift and the drift again, and layering success upon success. We apply that successionaire focus to overcoming our weaknesses. As we learn about becoming a successionaire, I must talk to you about riches and wealth. What's the difference? Well, you need to understand both the self-help component and the strategic component of how people become rich and then how they move on to become wealthy through passive income. Before you become rich, before you become wealthy, you need to learn why there are different foundational premises in these teachings. What's the difference between riches and wealth? This is an important question because in the Wired Differently Entrepreneurial Mindset, our aspirations as succession heirs are focused on becoming both rich and wealthy. You can't reach the type of freedom that I want you to attain without becoming a successionaire at being rich and a successionaire at becoming wealthy. To begin, the first fundamental difference between riches and wealth is that riches are the capital we use to purchase things, which are nouns, I like to use the word nouns because it defines a broad category of activities or physical objects without having to specify what they are. Riches are what we use to acquire nouns. Riches come to us on a recurring basis. Riches are a paycheck. Riches are a commission. Riches are that medium, that monetary utility, be it U.S. dollars, Bitcoin, any other type of cash component anything else you've got that can be exchanged for a noun or experience or whatever you use to drive your organization or yourself to a different level. Notice, I'm not saying next level. I'm not saying that riches are just a driver. Riches are the driver. Riches are the tangible piece in this exchange of goods and services, nouns and experiences, Riches are what we need to pay for rent, groceries, our bills, the overhead. Riches are what we need to pay for a night out, a vacation, or an adult education class. Our riches should be used to move us in a wired differently manner toward success. Riches come from circumstance, a consequence of your activities, your paycheck from work, a speaking fee, or a commission from closing a deal. Wealth? On the other hand is the result of happenstance. I don't mean it's the result of chance or luck, but that it happens without input from you. This wealth comes from your successes, meaning Section 1, Chapter 3, Systems Habits. Creative forces do not discern between want and unwant as they are both served on the same platter. Todd Saylor. I do a lot of coaching for both business people and entrepreneurs to help them attain success, to become successionaires. What then is successionaire? A successionaire is a person who focuses on becoming successful as a habit. A successionaire is someone who becomes successful time and time again. A successionaire is a person who develops a plan for success and completes that plan time and time again. A succession heir is only as good as his or her plan. I know that for a fact. When I'm not getting the warm and fuzzies about one of my companies, about one of my financial positions, about one of my operations, I know I have to own up to it and create a plan to get things on track. Same if I'm not feeling good about my family, about a relationship, or about myself. The number one obstacle I run into with my students is doubt and depression. I'm no stranger to that. None of us are. We have to manage those doubts and that depression, or we'll never be able to become succession heirs. I don't care what it is. I know the only way I will feel better about the situation is to create a plan. As soon as I do, I immediately feel better. We can't underestimate the importance of a plan, even a small one that seems preoccupied with trivial matters. Benjamin Franklin illustrated this in his proverb, showing how small details accumulate and snowball into events of enormous consequences. For want of a nail, the shoe was lost. For want of a shoe, the horse was lost. For want of a horse, the rider was lost. For want of a rider, the battle was lost. For want of a battle, the kingdom was lost. And all for the want of a horseshoe nail. The plan begins with something small, like applying a nail, but it represents a desire to execute a larger plan, in this case, preserving a kingdom. This desire originates from a dream, a dream that envisions a big plan. Think Tesla, SpaceX. You can be as successful as Elon Musk, Bill Gates, or even Warren Buffett if you complete even the simplest of your plans. Think how many plans, however well-intentioned, never made it past some day and were then abandoned and forgotten. A successionaire understands the concept of focus in being extremely purposeful, and being wired differently from the fact that they realize that they're only as good as their plan. This leads to the question, what's the difference between a business person and an entrepreneur? For now, let's use a simple definition that a business person is more focused on operations and procedures, while an entrepreneur acts upon creating new products and processes. A great illustration is the difference between Tim Cook, a business person, and Steve Jobs, an entrepreneur. Both were extraordinarily talented, yet they needed each other to make Apple the high-tech powerhouse it became. Steve Jobs was... Section 2. Motor That night in Kenosha. Your mind is like a motor, Todd Sailor. In Section 1, we discussed that a crucial step in becoming a successionaire is the act of getting 1% better. We explained how conditioning your mind is like wrapping wire around an electric motor. We then combined those concepts by showing that in pursuing an activity of 1% per day, you're wrapping a wire around that motor. After a year of getting 1% better, consider how extensive that wiring wrapped around your mind will be. The question is, what are you conditioning your mind for? A telling and cautionary tale of how the 1%, the 14 minutes and 24 seconds every day, can lead us astray, is the story of Kyle Rittenhouse. On August twenty-fourth, two 2020, Kyle Rittenhouse watched businesses in Kenosha, Wisconsin, burn because of violent protests. Why was it that Kyle Rittenhouse on one phone call, without even thinking about it, drove across state lines to another city, grabbed an AR rifle, and stood guard amid the chaos without asking one question. We know the tragedy that happened afterward. I often think of those circumstances, of how so many disparate elements came to play in a manner that resulted in two people being shot to death and another maimed. In the months leading up to what happened, Kyle Rittenhouse played Call of Duty. He didn't play avidly, not much, maybe 14 to 15 minutes a day, just 1% of his day. Perhaps he got 1% better for 14 minutes and 24 seconds every day, conditioning himself that over three years, he got at least 37,000 times better because he did it every day. When offered the chance, Kyle Rittenhouse grabbed his gun. He didn't think about it because his will was programmed. 14 minutes and 24 seconds a day. His will be done. My hypothesis is his will had inadvertently programmed his subconscious to play Call of Duty, to shoot and kill people in this video game. He was a prisoner of his own will. Even though Kyle Rittenhouse testified that he knew the difference between real life and a video game, He was, inadvertently or unconsciously, programming himself to get 1% better every day at Call of Duty. He didn't understand that, like it or not, he was programming his subconscious. He just thought he was having fun, playing a game for 14 minutes and 24 seconds. But what he was doing was getting 1% better every day at playing Call of Duty, wrapping another wire around the motor of his mind, and programming his subconscious to react a certain way in a situation he never anticipated. Kyle Rittenhouse didn't go to Kenosha to cause problems. In fact, he took a medical kit and carried the rifle simply to protect himself. He cleaned graffiti, provided medical attention, and helped put out fires. It was a confusing night of anarchy and destruction. According to testimony, Kyle Rittenhouse exchanged words with one of the rioters, and Kyle, perceived as a threat, was chased and threatened with violence. The rider grappled with him and seized the barrel of the AR. Kyle Rittenhouse shot four times, striking and killing the man, making him the first victim of the night. Kyle Rittenhouse got up and ran, only to be tackled and beaten by two men. Section 2. Chapter 1. Program Your Mind You become what you feed your mind anonymous. What is this book about? This book is really about actualizing your desires by controlling your will. This is probably the most important chapter in this book because it explains the concept of your will be done. What I'm going to do is show you what Wired Differently really stands for. In my first book, Wired Differently, I introduced the fundamental concepts of inventorying your favor, the most important being the mind, then discussed the drift and the land of quo. In my second book, Drift Again, I discussed how the very traits that make us successful, as wired differently, cause us to drift again. Now I'll explain not just how all this works, but why it works. First of all, the universe is on your side, for there is the law of attraction, a phenomenon as real as gravity and fire. Remember that like attracts like. Suppose you want to be a marathon runner. Part of that effort is lacing up your running shoes and putting in the miles. Soon, though, you'll hit a wall of frustration. You won't be able to run as far as you think you can. You deal with injuries. Then you attend a runner's clinic and meet others who share your ambitions and challenges. You get advice on how to improve as an athlete, plus you network and learn about other races. In seeing like, you've attracted like, and this brings you success as a runner. The law of attraction works in any circumstance, be it as an athlete, a scientist, or a salesperson. The precaution is to be careful about what you attract. Let's now break down the process of achieving success when you're wired differently. The How I ended Section 1 with one of the most evocative and metaphorical concepts of our mind, that of an electric motor. I explained that as electrical current flows through wires wrapped around magnets in the motor, this causes those magnets to spin about a shaft. The more wires, the greater the torque. Our mind is like that motor, and our habits and thought processes are those wires. Whatever we've wrapped around our mind will cause it to move in that direction and with the force that we've accumulated, the torque. Every repetition, every time we repeat a habit, is another wire wrapped around our mind. The more we practice something, catching a pass, playing piano, public speaking, the better we are at it. The same is true for bad habits. Smoking, eating too much, making excuses about not exercising, those are also wires wrapped around our mind. That we become what we think about is an obvious fact, and so we must be mindful of what reps we do and what habits we follow. The why? Being wired differently is about controlling your will. The dictionary defines will as, Expressing intent about the future. As smart as the folks are who compile the dictionary, they are a little off base. Because your will is not just about expressing intent, but about actually actualizing your future. Our mind moves in the direction of our wants, our desires, and, at its most heightened sense, by our will. The concept of your will be done is not a philosophical comment about life, and not just... SECTION 2. CHAPTER 2. ANTS. AUTOMATIC NEGATIVE THOUGHTS What you resist will persist, because it will remain in your subconscious. Todd Saylor So far, we've discussed the importance of understanding the concept of the mind as a motor, that reps and habits are the wrapping of wire around the motor, and that this produces torque, expressed as your will. We also discussed the importance of developing the right habits and the dangers of allowing ourselves to believe that we can't develop bad habits. But there is one bad habit that is very difficult to break and which sadly is one of the biggest obstacles that we plant and nurture, but blocks our paths forward. I'm talking about ants, automatic negative thoughts. This is not a term I invented, but one that I picked up. From Dr. Daniel Amen in his book, Feel Better, Faster, and Make It Last. Ants are our spontaneous responses to uncomfortable or unwanted stimuli. It's your mind reacting to a new project from your boss. Oh, jeez, not this again. How many times do we have to reinvent the wheel? It's your response to your spouse sharing an invitation to a holiday party from work. Do I have to... I can think of better things to do with my time than spend the evening listening to you and your buddies talk shop. It's your response when meeting someone who looks different from you. Watch out. He's one of them. Ants come from a variety of sources. Having ants is, at its most basic, very normal human behavior. Our caveman ancestors lived in a dangerous world, and one bad decision could leave them seriously injured. This was a time when even a small cut could lead to a deadly infection, or on the menu for a saber-toothed tiger or giant bear. Most of us don't live in situations of life-or-death decisions. Our ants are from learned behavior. We remember how counterproductive our efforts were from the last time our boss came up with that great idea, and yes, attending the spouse's previous holiday work party was incredibly boring. That strange guy you ran into was, indeed, trouble, but the worst ants develop from reactions to what we've been told. You're fat, so you become withdrawn. You're bald, so you think no one takes you seriously. Why are you being stupid? And this causes you to second-guess yourself and develop an inferiority complex. Ants live in your subconscious and show how your subconscious is impacted by others. Your brain recognizes the menace to your well-being that these negative thoughts and stimuli represent, and so causes you to modify your behavior at the subconscious level from discomfort to comfort, from risk to safety. In response to comments like, You're fat. You decide not to bring attention to yourself, and so remain a wallflower. After being told, You're stupid. You choose not to assert yourself and prove others wrong, and so live with your head down. What happens with these negative thoughts is that they become automatic habits. Anytime a new opportunity comes to us, without thinking, we start to look for reasons to reject it, to expect a bad thing. We discussed how habits are the wires wrapped around your mind and how acting on these habits creates torque. The more deeply ingrained the habits, the more torque. Like it or not, if we succumb to ants, our will is going to be profoundly negative. Imagine harboring these ants since childhood. Section 2, Chapter 3 The Subconscious Has No Conscience Your natural subconscious is a relentless bloodhound with no restraint, seeking all that it encounters ferociously. Todd Saylor It's crucial that we understand the power of your will and the fact that it's a statement of your will be done. It's a statement of truth. It's more than a thought or a biblical term. It is a factual statement. Whatever your will is, it will be done. When thoughts come into your mind, the conscious mind directs them into the subconscious mind. When those thoughts are repeated, they become habits, and you don't have to activate your conscious mind to make them happen. Previously, we had discussed this phenomenon as muscle memory. The mother of all invention is desire. The intense feeling that you want something, that you have to make something happen. The mother of all creation is desire. The mother of all success is desire. Desire both inspires and motivates your will. Desire is the starting point of all achievement. Not a hope, not a wish, but a keen Pulsating desire which transcends everything. Napoleon Hill You are your thoughts. Repeated thoughts become habits, meaning you are your habits. We know that habits reside in our subconscious, meaning we are what is in our subconscious. That realization should make your head explode. We're taught to believe that we are rational creatures who act upon rational conscious thought. That's only partly true. As I've explained, what drives what we do is our will, which is driven by our subconscious and our desires. So it follows that if we're to be successionaires, then we must be careful about what we allow into our subconscious. The problem is that we don't always monitor what flows from our conscious mind and into our subconscious mind. When we think that we're mindful or Put another way, supremely purposeful, meaning consciously aware of what we're doing, what's ultimately influencing our reactions and determining our behavior are the habits residing in our subconscious. If that's not a big enough revelation, here's one that's equally earth-shattering. Our natural subconscious has no conscience. The creation's subconscious mind doesn't care about or make judgments moral or otherwise, about what is directed into it by the conscious mind. You repeatedly think about something, and it becomes a habit, good, bad, or benign. Then your subconscious acts upon what you've allowed in there. That the subconscious has no conscience can lead to dangerous outcomes. It means that, despite the best intentions of your conscious mind, you wind up doing what your subconscious has been programmed to do. Then, your conscious mind finds ways to accommodate what the subconscious is telling it to do. You have problems managing money, and you've developed a habit of being careless with your finances. When your subconscious decides to buy yet another trinket, your conscious mind makes excuses and rationalizes the decision. This diamond-studded watch is a good deal. How could I not buy it? After all, it's not that expensive. Your will be done. We must be vigilant about what thoughts we allow into our conscious mind and about what we desire. While the subconscious... Section 3. Your Will Be Done Pennies on the Trail Pennywise Motivates Guys I was running full speed from Lincoln Elementary School and then sprinted across Maple Grove Street. It was a cool October afternoon in 1972, and I was eight years old. My destination was Hudson High School, where my father waited. I helped manage the football team by delivering water, handing out salt tablets, carrying equipment, doing anything, as long as I could be with my dad. He was at the field house door which overlooked the practice field and the surrounding acres of woods and farmland. I arrived sweaty and out of breath, but happy as always to be at his side and ready to start my team chores. He looked at me, smiling. My dad was an athletically large man. Though he always bore a welcoming demeanor, at times he could be intense and a bit intimidating. Running behind, Butch?' He reached into his jacket pocket. We don't have time to waste. He withdrew his hand to give me a bag of pennies. I mean, lots of pennies, probably hundreds. Placing the bag in my hand, he said, I need you to hurry. Here's your first job of today's practice. Not sure what he was getting at. I looked back at him, but nonetheless said, "Okay, Dad, then added, What do you want me to do? Quickly now, he explained, Scatter these pennies. On the Ho Chi Minh Trail Before each week's game, the team would run a path through the nearby woods nicknamed the Ho Chi Minh Trail, in reference to the infamous jungle road the Communists used to smuggle troops and weapons from North to South Vietnam, and as an homage to the brothers of those on our team who had gone to fight that war. He read my confused expression, "'Son,' I want you to toss these pennies along the trail. His tone was urgent and serious. Scatter them down the center of the path, and especially around the Addison High School stake at the end of the trail. You got it? Yes, Dad, I'll do that. Let me tell you what this is about. He placed a hand on my shoulder. We've got to be convinced that we've won each game, even before we've played it. I felt the weight of his words and replied, "'Yes, Dad?' he continued. "'At this moment, you have the most important job in the entire win-record legacy. Addison High is picked to win, and 3,000 people will be at the game to watch them beat us. But they won't,' he gestured to the sack of pennies. "'When our players find a penny, they will cheer, because they've been conditioned to look for the good. Now you'll be a part of this victory,' Do you understand, son? Yes, Dad. Keep the secret, he smiled, then patted my shoulder. Now, go, run, like Gale Sayers. I dashed toward the Ho Chi Minh Trail. The path was marked with a series of stakes in the order of the teams that the Hudson High Tigers would play. Our players would run around each stake, and as a team, stop at the last stake in and yank it from the ground to cheer the victory as if it had already happened. As I ran along the trail, I scattered the pennies here and there, making sure to save plenty for that final stake. Exhausted, I reached that final stake, the one for the Addison High Panthers, and sowed the remaining pennies close by. Before I had a chance to catch my breath, I heard the players running up the trail. Section 3. Chapter 1. Two wills be done. DREAMS ARE NOT FOR PRACTICAL PEOPLE Todd Saylor In the opening story to this section, I shared the anecdote of when my father asked me to scatter pennies on the Ho Chi Minh Trail to illustrate how he was able to instill his players with purpose. I saw back then, though I didn't comprehend what was happening— how my dad was able to project his will into the subconscious of those young men. Now that we're at the third and final section of this book, I want you to understand not just what my father had done and how he'd done it, but the deeper message of the process and what it means to you. Think about what is possible in this world and ask yourself, why not me? To this end, I've been called to share how to become wired differently and teach you the power of God's will be done, and the power of your will be done. As the title of the book is Your Will Be Done, the narrative most definitely has a Christian message and momentum. In coming to this point, I've thought much about the Wired Differently brand, its mission, its movement, and, most importantly, its ministry. When we're discussing Your Will Be Done, understand There are literally only two wills in this world, God's will and your will, the latter meaning the will you as an individual possess. Don't confuse the two wills, even though God made them both and made them supremely purposeful, supremely powerful, and supremely amazing. There are two kinds of people, those who say to God, Thy will be done and those to whom God says, All right, then, have it your way. C.S. Lewis Let's examine the first will, God's will, which is articulated to us in Matthew 6, 9, in what we know as the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Many of you, like me, are familiar with the Lord's Prayer. I learned this prayer in sports, where we would recite it before football games and wrestling matches. Back then, I memorized the passage, but didn't pay attention to the words. Even so, saying the prayer gave me confidence and strength, because I felt like I was speaking directly with God, and that there was meaning in the crucial directive of the prayer, Your will be done. In that prayer, God is sharing How we are to pray to him, and that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does this mean? It means that it is God's will to bring the joy of heaven to earth. To attain this joy of heaven is possible for us, as explained in Matthew 7, 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Here, God is telling us that we each have a will, the ability to act on our own, in fact, very explicitly using the verbs ask, seek, and knock. The powerful message in this scripture is that God is telling us that His will is to give us free will, your will. So, what is your will? It is your ability and prerogative to do any damn thing you want. God did not put any tethers on your will because it is free will. God wants for us to unite with Him. Section 3, Chapter 2, Call to Action. Although I've achieved many of my dreams, I've never made plans to be anything other than a humble successionaire. Todd Saylor. God gave us free will with no strings attached for His salvation. We are free to choose Him or not. What God has provided to you is a supercharged motor mindset built in His image that can focus upon and secure your earthly desires and your will. Put another way, for accepting God's will, He led us to success, and this was the payoff for our effort. On the other hand, God's will also gives you the option for even more if you choose, to accept Christ into you so that you can filter your mindset, soul, and heart in its desires and focus. Remember what Hebrews 13:5 and 6 tells us. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? You can indeed enjoy your will and God's will, here on earth, as it is in heaven, to have further eternal life in the hereafter, as God has promised. So, possibly painful, but truly so perfect. The freedom to choose His will with our free will secures our salvation, and his will guides our free will here on earth and secures our place in heaven, regardless of our earthly missteps. He is a loving, entrepreneurial, and masterful God. He wants you to succeed on this earth by leveraging your favor. Look at the parable of the talents matthew twenty five fourteen through thirty in that scripture. God is expecting you to sow the seeds of your potential and ability and reap those benefits. Because of that parable, in English, the word talent has changed in definition from a bar of silver to mean your innate abilities. Such talents are among God's gifts to you. We leverage these gifts through the seven Ds. Deliver it, dream it, determine it, detail it, draw it. Deposit it, devote to it, that push your desires from your mind to your subconscious. Your wired differently kingdom and free will start by accepting God's will and embracing His gift, as told to us in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For you to be completely wired differently, Christ needs to become your Savior, and so will guard your subconscious heart and soul, which once had no conscience, but has now. We've learned that each of us is wired differently, and that our mind is the most powerful of our favors. I keep returning to the metaphor of the mind as a motor to emphasize that it is our habits wrapped around the mind's core that give power to our thoughts. We discussed how we're constantly subject to drift, pulled to accept mediocrity in the land of quo. And when we think we've got our lives figured out, we discover that the very wired differently traits that have made us... Thanks for listening to VoiceOver Work and Audiobook Sampler where do you listen? If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll pass along our web address, newtonmg.com, to your friends and colleagues. This has been a Newton Media Group production. Join us next week for another episode of Voiceover Work, where we'll preview a new audiobook for your listening pleasure. Have a great week.